Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship and building in public. This episode is called Choose Your Own Adventure. Creator, curator, commentator or connector. But first, a word from our sponsor. Microacquire is the most founder-friendly startup acquisition marketplace and it's simply the most efficient and free option to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. And a key trait for serial entrepreneurs is the ability to build multiple startups. And that oftentimes can be a double-edged sword if the founder creates multiple businesses that overlap with each other and the founder's time is a limited resource. And as with anything that's stretched too thin, the correlated value starts to diminish. There's lots of problems in that. That's why many serial entrepreneurs find MicroAcquire to be so immensely valuable, like the founders of UserFeed and AdReform. And Storytime, Len Bennett and his co-founder ran both startups for the past two years to the verge of burnout. And additionally, they knew that AdReform was growing faster and needed more attention to go beyond the six-figure ARR that it had already commanded. The founding duo, they needed a very low effort and efficient approach to selling user feed and microacquire fit the bill perfectly. They didn't have the time to source and vet through multiple brokers, nor that they really want to deal with all the traditional high fees associated with that route. Landon was able to submit all the necessary details for their microacquire listing within a few days and the microacquire team took it live within 24 hours. The results surprised Landon and his co-founder as they saw such an amazing response. They received about 40 different buyer messages requesting more information. They met with 20 buyers that fit the criteria and ended up with three offers. That's pretty solid conversion. This was all within the span of three weeks. So in the end, they got exactly the outcome they were looking for. A quick six-figure exit at the sale price they wanted, zero fees and their full attention they can now dedicate to scaling their only startup. So if you're a founder that's stretched too thin and hoping for a quick and easy exit, go check out MicroAcquire. It's completely free for founders and the MicroAcquire team is there to help at every step via email, phone, or chat. Go to microacquire.com to get started. And now let us get started. People love to put other people in boxes. Metaphorically, of course. We do love our categories and classifications. On social media, we can leverage one of four major roles. We can be creators, curators, commentators, and connectors. Focusing on one of these will provide a clear path towards building an equally focused audience. So let's dive into the opportunities and the risks of making these choices and sticking with them and how many roles one person can realistically fulfill. We'll talk about that too. We're creatures of category. We love to prescribe labels to other people. We have in-groups and out-groups and often strictly and distinctively divided. When we encounter a person building digital products with code, well, they're a software engineer. And when we run into someone who lives to tell stories, they're writers. Of course, every single human being out there is more than just one thing. We all contain multitudes, we have overlapping interests and experiences that form the unique person that we are. But if I had to learn and understand every single facet of every single person that I have a relationship with, my mind would explode. I can barely do that with my friends from way back when. So I wouldn't have the capacity to do that with Twitter follows that I just found a week ago. So I categorize. This is a fellow writer and here's a coder who loves to teach clear categories. 
And in doing that for a while now, I know, noticed that the more this person leaned into their appearance at first sight, the easier time I had to build a lasting relationship with them that would eventually go deeper than what category I had initially assigned them. That's why I recommend that you apply the 80-20 rule. The one way you spend 80% of your time focusing on one thing and allow for anything else only in the remaining 20%. Just to clarify, this is not the Pareto rule, which is about the power law distribution of well-applied focus and that people often misunderstand to mean half-assing the work that they do, just do 20% and the 80% will follow. No, no, it's all about allowing people to bring you into their world more easily by focusing. It's about inviting people that fit into your audience. A hundred well-fitting followers, they will give you way more opportunities than thousands and thousands of people who don't. And nothing is better than knowing exactly what the new person you've just met will be doing next. So let's take a look at the four archetypes of social media experts and how you can leverage them for your audience building journey. Let's start with creator. All the content on social media has to come from somewhere. And creators are the people that make it happen. They write blog posts, they record podcasts, and they craft highly polished video content that instructs, informs, and entertains. Creators are like plants. They produce the digital oxygen that everyone else breathes. They are educators, they're guiding novices in their respective fields along their journeys. And if you enjoy sharing your knowledge with those willing to learn from you, being a creator is a wonderful choice. As a creator, you'll attract those who seek novelty, refreshing insights, and reassuring anecdotes. And you'll have to be living an interesting life for others to find you interesting. That is a prerequisite to being a creator. You have a lot of options when it comes to the type of content that will signify to people that you are a creator. So let's just talk about a couple. You can write articles. Having a blog is a great idea because it allows you to create both search engine retrievable long tail content and really cool things to share. You can also record a solo podcast where you share your knowledge episodically. It's great for people to tune in. You can create videos. You can shoot short or bite-sized videos explaining one concept or just go for the more in-depth, longer version. Whatever you do, when you combine your human presence as a person, sharing an idea on camera with the additional effects of the video medium in particular, with the B-roll, the overlays, animations, you'll have an amazingly shareable piece of content. And it doesn't have to be moving to be appealing. You can also visualize an idea by sketching it out. You can illustrate complicated concepts with simple shapes and relationships. Just allow people that you create for to understand things better. And all of these kinds of content create a permanent record. They are evidence of your ambition and when done consistently, make you irresistible as a reliable source of new and exciting things to learn. Creators are teachers and creators can improve their work by exploring new media. If you love writing, consider narrating your articles into a microphone. Boom, you've just started a podcast. It's very easy. Each medium brings new opportunities to teach and you can leverage them. And let's talk about the risks. Creators risk sabotaging their work by never hitting that publish button. Imposter syndrome and perfectionism, they can quickly overwhelm them and prevent them from sharing their work. I suffer from that a lot, but I always end up reframing the situation. Even though my work might not be perfect yet, it can already help at least one single person in its current state. And that makes it publishable, so I publish. Creators create, they make new things. They share them with an eager audience and then relentlessly explore their fields of knowledge for new opportunities. Let's talk about curators. 
I often wondered why people chose to be librarians when they could have been writers when I was younger. And then I met my very first passionate librarian and I understood they are self-elected custodians of knowledge. They are the keepers, the guardians of all those wonderful creations made by others. And without curators, there would be nobody to ask, what book should I read if I'm interested in botany? Or which masterpiece should I look at in a museum if I want to learn how to paint the most amazing landscapes? Curators do that. They connect the work with the people who should consume them. They add color and context to standalone works, and they fit them into this ongoing cultural conversation in which they happen. And if you enjoy sharing great resources that inspired you, with others that are waiting to be inspired, you can become a curator. And if you pick this path, people will learn to expect great curation from you. After all, you're a curator. So here are a few ways of providing that with your growing audience. First, find the most outstanding creations in your field and just bring them together in an organized fashion. This can be a list, an exhibition, a lesson, a catalog, any kind of shape will do. The added value of this is how you discern what made it into the list and what didn't. How you organize it will allow your followers to understand content in the context of its environment. It adds color. Others provide that content, you provide perspective. Summaries and reviews are also really appreciated with people having short attention spans, having someone ingest and pre-digest content into some sort of brief and cursory summary. Now that will make you extremely attractive to your audience. You just save them hours of their time. They might still consume the content, of course, but now they know if it's worth it or not. And if you have seen a lot and been through a few things, you have a feeling for the whole market that you operate in. You can curate key players, up and comers and historical movements. You can be a historian of your market. And if you love spreadsheets and nerding out over data, this will attract all kinds of people, makers, investors, advertisers, many more. It's gonna be very helpful. And with that experience also comes good judgment. You can offer up suggestions in the shape of alternative to standard solutions or recommendations for people who are just starting out, etc., which will make you the go-to expert for beginner knowledge. Now, curators can improve their work by staying in touch with new creators. It's always valuable to your audience if you introduce them to new and unique voices in the field. Your curations will also benefit from being the best they can be if you keep them up to date. And curators, on the flip side, sabotage their work by omission. If you only play your old favorites and ignore better and more impactful works, your curated lists become stale and untrustworthy. Curators curate, they sort, they rank, they organize the content out there for everybody else to consume. Now, if creators make new things and curators put them into context, commentators are tasked with recontextualizing things as much as possible. Curators wanna showcase the best and the most useful things out there. Commentators take a piece of content, disentangle it from its existing context, and then offer a new perspective on it it is different than curation. The best commentators combine insight and anecdote. They can polarize without radicalizing and they skillfully shine many lights of different colors onto a thing or a topic. Commentators invite conversation, deconstruction and re-evaluation. And recontextualizing things can be surprisingly easy. You can add color commentary Let's say you read an article about pricing for SaaS businesses and it reminded you of something that you went through in your own business journey. Talk about it. Add your anecdote to the piece by framing it through that lens. Comment on how your experience was different or how you came to similar conclusions 
and what those differences or similarities are. Also, sharing news and industry developments are a great way of commenting on more significant themes. This is a kind of micro-curation with a distinct focus on figuring out the underlying intention behind the original content. Press releases are dissected to reveal what's actually happening for the business. That's where commentary comes in. And people love reviews. Take a thing, consume it, and judge it with all your might. People might disagree, but they will still appreciate a strong sentiment one way or another. One of the benefits of reviews when it comes to books and other info products is that there are usually thousands of them, exciting things to choose from, which you can effectually serialize once every week. Finally, you can also share prognosis. Becoming an oracle in your space is alluring because people will follow you for hot takes and for reasonable extrapolations alike. If your insights are good, they will resonate and inspire those who look for additional context and recontextualization. Commentators often run the risk of turning into bitter naysayers, though, and because it's easy to criticize without providing any substantial alternative suggestions, it's easy to quickly tear down what others have built up painstakingly, so resist the temptation to find your purpose in becoming a destroyer. That will effectively sabotage your own journey, and it leads to nothing but negativity in the end. So reframe, but do it in a positive light as well. Now, connectors, they build communities. They establish relationships, with and among the people that share their interests. Some people are just born cheerleaders. They have an easy time putting aside their ego and letting others shine. These are prime candidates for the role of a connector in a community. If you enjoy empowering people to help themselves and help others, consider making this your mission over anything else. If you want to connect people, there are a few ways. Start an interview podcast. This might be the most magical choice you ever make because having an interview show allows you access to the most interesting people. And by talking to them, you get the chance to share them with your audience. You connect those experts at the same time. They benefit from more exposure. Everybody wins. And over time, you get to talk to even more exciting people because you have a reputation for running a good show. With the advent of virtual meetups, connectors can also invite people to live events like Twitter spaces or fireside chats on Zoom. People trust their community leaders and their contributors. So if you, as a connector, suggest joining an ongoing conversation because you've been part of great conversations before, people will follow. Another essential task of a connector is to maintain community hygiene. When there's drama, calm people down. When there should be drama, call people out. Always act in the interest of all involved parties in your community, the individual people, and the community at large. Connectors can sabotage their work, though, by eroding their communities through their own self-interest. Communities have emergent goals that appear because the community decides to have them, not you. So if your intent to sell your products runs orthogonally to these goals, you'll slowly disrupt the health of your community, and that will kill it. But you can heal communities, too. So inject kindness into conversations and empower people with your gift of connection. Sometimes a kind word can recharge a fully depleted mind. A supportive virtual pat on the back can make the difference between a founder grinding it out or giving up too early. Connectors connect. And they are the glue that keeps communities together. They bridge the minds and souls of people. And that's a great thing to do. There's one more role that I haven't talked about yet. It's the one we all play most of the time. The default role of any Twitter user is consumer. Unless we actively contribute, we passively ingest what's out there. We read, we lurk, we like, we click. None of that is creative, curative, a comment, or even connecting people. But it's equally important. No work would be seen without a consumer. 
nor would commentators, connectors, or curators have anyone to interact with and work for. You don't need to do much to consume, but you can definitely overconsume. So let's talk about that. I think most Twitter users, 44% have never written a tweet. That makes it very easy to turn from consumer into any of the other four kinds of contributor. Just engage with people. Share your perspective, create, connect, curate, or comment. And you don't need to only pick one of these options either. While I recommend that you stick to one of them most of the time, the reality of your Twitter experience will cause you to create in one minute and curate in another one. Don't lock yourself in, but focus on what you want to be perceived as. The clearer you project your favorite role to your audience, the easier it will be for your would-be follower to see the value of allowing you to build a relationship with them. Personally, I consider myself a creator first and a connector second. I think it's like a 60-20-10-10 split between creation, connection, and uh, curation, and commentary. You'll have to find your own balance there. And it's also okay to change that over time. But when you're starting out, focusing on one role will kickstart your growth the easiest. Because it's really supposed to be enjoyable and effective. So focus makes a lot of difference. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Karl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books, Zero to Sold, and The Embedded Entrepreneur, and my Twitter course, find your following there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Thank you so much for listening today and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.